Welcome to episode 34 of Aviation Careers Podcast, the podcast where we give you an inside view of aviation careers and help you achieve your goals. Aviation training is constantly evolving, producing both safer and well-rounded aviators. Today, I'm excited to have with me an innovator in the field of aviation training, Eric Crump, the Aerospace Program Director at Polk College. Eric's passion for aviation is immediately apparent. From the moment I met Eric at Sun and Fun 2013, I knew he'd be a great guest on this podcast to help you with your aviation career. Eric is an aviation prodigy who learned to fly a plane before I learned to drive a car. Eric's now fulfilling his passion for aviation as an educator and innovator in his approach to aviation training. Eric, welcome to Aviation Careers Podcast. Thanks, Carl. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, it's great to have you here. And uh, just wondering, I'm, I'm actually in sunny Florida on the uh, Tampa Bay region. Where, where are you today? Also in sunny Florida. We're sharing the same beautiful weather today. I'm at the uh, Winter Haven Municipal Airport, Gilbert Field in Winter Haven, Florida. And um, it's 85 degrees outside, blue skies, and there are a lot of airplanes flying around. <laughs> You know that that Winter Haven Gilbert Field. If anybody gets a chance, stop by. You can drive there. You can fly there. They have a place you can eat right on the airport. You don't have to be a pilot to stop by. It's really a cool little spot there. And I, I can't remember what the name of the the restaurant is there. It's Pappy's Grill. I'm going to be having lunch there in a little while. <laughs> it's really hard um, to go anywhere else because my office is about 30 feet from the restaurant. So around 11, 11:30 in the morning, you start to smell breakfast change to lunch, and it uh, it gets me hungry. So, <laughs> well, you know, I, next time I fly into Gilbert Field, I have to knock on your door, and we'll go grab a bite to eat. <laughs> Absolutely, hundred dollar hamburger. At you your got service. it. You got it. The uh, and and for those folks that don't know what the hundred dollar hamburger is, you know, that's some just a term that was, came up in aviation years ago. That you know to go get a hamburger usually doesn't cost a hundred dollars, of course, but when you factor in all the fuel and the flight time and renting an airplane, it turns out to to cost a hundred dollars, which these days, maybe the $200 hamburger, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on where you're coming from. Yeah. Well, you know, Eric, it was great meeting you over at uh, Sun and Fun, and, and you related some really interesting things, and and you you, you seemed to be a real, real innovator in the in training environment. And the one thing that really impressed me with you is the fact that you're truly passionate about aviation. And is it true that you actually were able to fly before you drive? Um, it is actually true. Yeah, I um, my love for aviation started... Um, I don't remember when it started, really, because I was so young. But um, my grandfather was a mechanic at uh, Spence Field, Moultrie, Georgia, um, during World War II. And um, it was a training base, and he was responsible for fixing the airplanes that the training pilots broke. Um, and so he, I just I grew up listening to his stories, really, um, and just loving the idea of aviation. And um, my grandmother had bought him – um, a, a couple of flight lessons and some training materials and things. And he never really pursued it on his own, but he kept the training materials. And when I would go to their house as a young person, I would disappear and they would come find me with all of his books spread out on the floor. I had no idea what I was reading, but I was looking at the pictures and it seemed really interesting. And um, I took my first flight the day after my 13th birthday. Um, I uh, I hadn't started growing yet, actually. So they put me on three yellow page phone books to be able to see over the panel. Um, and my feet are just dangling in this 172. They didn't even touch the floor. Um, but uh, I knew as soon as the airplane was off the ground, I, I, my dad was in the back seat and um, probably shouldn't have done this. But I, as the airplane's in cloud, I just turned around and looked at my dad and said, uh, this is what I'm going to do, by the way. And and, and it, it is. It's what I'm doing right now, actually. 
But uh, and that's that's how it started. But I I soloed on my 16th birthday, which was a Sunday, so I had to drive home with my dad because I didn't have a driver's license. <laughs> wow, wow, that's that, that's truly amazing. There are a few few folks out there that have done that, but uh, they're few and far between now. It's uh, that's awesome, awesome story. So it's obvious why you you chose this career path. Sounds like it was in your blood. It it is. Um, you know, it's funny because no one in my immediate family is a pilot, um, but Outside of my immediate family, I have several cousins who own aircraft or who fly for business or things like that. And um, and I guess it just from the general exposure between my granddad getting me started and then telling me stories and my parents fully supporting my desire to go out to the airport as a young person and fly around in an airplane. I don't know that my mom fully supported it, but she pretended that she did. Just from from all of that, uh, I, and then the the exposure to my extended family, and I just I grew up at a great family-friendly airport, I guess you could say. And those guys were really supportive. Uh, they really helped me out and sort of pushed me in the direction I needed to go and, and helped to rein in the craziness of a of a young teenager who thought it was really cool to get in an airplane and turn that into um, a real, like you said, a real passion for aviation that's turned into an amazing, really interesting career um, that I, I love and wouldn't give anything for. You know, it looks like the path that you took there was, you know, it was somewhat varied, but but you, you knew you wanted to get into aviation. And, you know, you mentioned something there, that the family friendliness. Friendliness in general at airports is an important thing to attract uh, customers and attract new pilots. The airport you're at right now, Gilbert Field, I think is an incredibly friendly airport. I never feel bad about going there and sitting inside this wonderful, almost rustic-looking building. And uh, even though it's modern, it's all modern uh, uh, wood, and it's just beautiful what they've done there. But that is a key, I think, in this aviation industry, or just in general, is to make it friendly for people to come see. And uh, that probably was a significant part of your becoming passionate about aviation is that those initial approaches to aviation and those initial steps absolutely you know as i'm as i'm on the one hand saying okay i want to be a pilot when i grow up having no idea what that really meant you know at the time just because i I loved flying airplanes and i thought okay well i should just turn this into a career as a great example you know the my entire youth i started flying when i was 13 i got my private when i was 18 it took me five years to do it because um you know normal kids got an allowance i got an hour of flight time a month and i worked really hard for that hour of flight time a month um and i mean but i earned it and it meant it it had value to me because i had i earned it it took a long time to do it but i i managed to get it done so i did all of my private training in that what we consider the part 61 go out to your local airport local instructor and that mentality. But then from my instrument rating on through the rest of my training, I did it in collegiate aviation. And I wouldn't give anything for the two different training opportunities that that presented to me because the entire time I was doing my private, the only thing I, the only career I knew existed in aviation was commercial airline pilot. I thought that's what you did. You got all your ratings so you could go fly a heavy metal. I thought that was the idea. Um, when I got to college, I realized, wait, 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 there's hundreds of careers in aviation. And um, I, uh, I remember the first time I taught a, uh, a ground school class, um, I realized that my future in aviation would always end up being in education um, because I just, I love teaching. Um, I'm one of the, one of those rare flight instructors who loves having new students. 
I wish every student I flew with had never been in an airplane before because I love watching that light bulb go on over their head, that smile creep on their face when they realize they're actually flying the airplane, that they too can do this. Um, it's, it's an addictive feeling. I love it. Um, and uh, now, you know, in, in, a, in the collegiate setting, being back in that, in that mode, I get to see it on such a huge scale. Um, to see multiple students the first two weeks of every semester, just wow, this is the coolest thing ever. Um, and it, it is, it's addictive. Eric, I, I tell you, I'm number two out there that loves to teach primary students. Absolutely, it's wonderful to, like you said, see those light bulbs go on and, and you're making a big difference. I mean, what you've done is you've actually put a legacy in place of, of your training and you are able to both bring the passion and also the information to somebody, and they'll use that for the rest of their life. And someday they may, it may uh, save their life. I don't know about you, but I still quote my first flight instructor all the time. <laughs> That's funny you I said do. that. Yeah, I, I do. I really do. Head on a swivel, eyes on ball bearings. Yeah. I say it at least twice every day. You know what? It's funny. My, my instructor, the one thing I always remember is I get, he always says, I get paid for doing this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've used that one too. You know, that, that's really cool that you're into that. Because like you said, this is interesting because a lot of people, especially at the airlines, they look down on that primary training. I even, I talk to my buddies and I, and you know, I love flight instructing. And they say, well, I want to do instrument and commercial and I want to do some other type multi-engine training. I can understand the commercial because commercial rating, that's like more stick and rudder. Amazingly enough, it's like a VFR check ride, just mm -hmm. like the private is. But you really are teaching the basics and, and mastering the basics of aviation is one of the most important things because I see it in the, in the recruitment. I see it also in people and the failures at the airline is that the things that they lack are the basics of aviation. And right. you're promoting that, which I think is terrific. Well, you know, Eric, it's <laughs> that's so cool that I, I love to talk to a flight instructor that loves flight instructing, and and there's there's many out there, and and that's terrific. Now, that's kind of weird that I said that, isn't it? In this industry, I, and and you can comment on this also. There's people that really they're in flight instructing for the wrong reasons. They're they're just there to build time and and to make some extra money, and that's it. Uh, but they don't truly want to teach. I, I'm sure you've run up against that too. I mean, I see it a lot, actually. Um, you know, you look at, you know, because our training system um, uh, from the FA down industry-wise, um, we generally look at a pilot's qualification as being a pilot strictly based on the number of hours that he or she has, which is unfortunate, but it's the way the system works right now. And um, as that being the case, new pilots who want to get into commercial aviation or even who are flying privately or in the corporate aviation environment, they need to build up their flight time. And so many will look at flight instruction as a way to do that because you have a, a I hate to say it, but I mean, they, they view it as a captive audience who, you know, want this certificate and they're willing to pay for it. So you just sort of work with them until you get to the requisite amount of flight time. I can't tell you when I, I, uh, I guess my first real – well, not my first real flight instruction job, but once I left collegiate aviation the first time and went out into the into the cruel world, I was at Petrie DeCab in, uh, in Atlanta. And I can't tell you – I would say it was probably eight out of ten new students I got had been abandoned by a flight instructor um, who had left to go to an airline job because that's, that's all they were. They were a meal ticket to get that person to their next step. Um, and I always viewed myself at that time – I mean I was a career instructor – I flew 135. I got to fly, you know, some really interesting airplanes. I got to fly the corporate stuff, but I always, always 
was an active flight instructor. And I did it as a career, not because I needed something out of it, but because I really honestly enjoyed it. But that, like you said, that's it's not common. I wish it was, but um, it's you, it's you, you find a lot of people who do it for the wrong reasons. That's for sure. And you know, not to give the wrong impression, I, I want to speak towards those people that are listening that are flight instructors right now. If you are planning on going to the airlines, that's great. That's terrific. And you know, you, you may... In that you used the term abandoning your students. I, I actually left my flight instructing job full time and went to work at the airlines. People didn't realize I would ever do that. I actually didn't know I was going to do that at the time. But you know what? I made sure that my students were taken care of even after I was gone. And one really important point here for you flight instructors out there that, that and everybody is that your customer who is your student, is always your student no matter what. I have students now that call me, my students from back in the late 90s, that call me today and ask me questions. So you will always, 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 just like we quoted our first flight instructor, you will always be quoted and you will always be the <laughs> flight instructor. That's a key thing. You know, I, I find... A lot of flight instructors view flight instruction as this period in my life when I do this because I have to, and then I stop, and then I move on to the next thing. Um, and you know, it, it's really not that way. Well, it, it, I guess it can be, but it, it, I don't think it should be, because when you have had that kind of impact on somebody's life, um, like you said, I, I get phone calls and emails all the time from from past students. I had students who I instructed who later on decided they wanted to go the collegiate aviation route, and they contacted me for letters of recommendation to get into college because they knew that I had seen so much of their development as a pilot that that's experience that they wanted retold to uh, to, to the selection body who was going to be bringing them into this program. So um, it's it's a key thing to realize that you're you're not just their flight instructor while they're sitting in the airplane with you. You know, it, it's a it's a relationship that can, and in my opinion, should continue for as many generations into the future as it goes. It, actually, interesting story along those lines. Uh, I guess probably two years ago now, my first flight instructor called me on the phone. I looked at my phone, and it's his name. And I'm like, what? this is strange. I answered the phone, and he had an ATP applicant that he was working with who was getting ready to take the knowledge test, and um, and he. He had not done an ATP applicant in so long, he forgot what the difference was between the 135 and the 121 ATP knowledge exam. And he called me to ask me. <laughs> and I, and I, 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 it took me a second to, to internalize that. And I just said, you know, I'm happy to answer this question for you, but this is, this is so strange to me. But it, it's, it's perfect because I've asked you, what, three million questions in the time that you've worked with me over a five-year period, the least I can do is answer this one question for you. But it was very, um, it was a very out-of-body experience type thing, answering a question for your first flight instructor. That's awesome. I, I think that's a that, that's a great testament to the flight instructor in general and and how important they are. And just like you just said, there's somebody who's helping somebody get their airline transport pilot certificate, and you're helping them years later, which is just neat. I mean, it just is a testament to how important it is to be a flight instructor, which, by the way, if, if you're looking at a job in an airline, I do recommend people to become a flight instructor because I think as a flight instructor, there's many skills that you learn. Besides flying, you also learn how to teach. And as an airline pilot, especially a captain, you wind up doing a lot of teaching because you have a lot of new folks sitting next to you and you learn that all-important patience. Plus, when you have to explain something to somebody, 
you also learn it that much better and you become an expert in that field. So I think I think everybody should become a flight instructor, but then I, I, I also realize that there's some people that shouldn't. There are some people that really shouldn't. If you hate teaching, then you probably should go out and try to find uh, time building some other way besides flight instructing. Indeed, yeah. But I, I think that's a key point that you just mentioned. Um, you know, the, um, the attitude that you have toward teaching, because it's if you're working toward the airline path or, um, you know, really even toward the corporate path, there's any time you're working in aviation, there's always a teaching component to it. Um, and if you look at it as an opportunity to better yourself, I didn't I never realized how much I didn't know until I started trying to teach. Um, and it, honestly, it, it will make you personally a better pilot. It will make you a better um, – and the more you do it, the better you are at, at conveying the information. But in anything you do in aviation, that's just the way our industry works. There's a teaching component. It, we, you don't even realize it. You're sitting around the, the airport talking with some people. Ultimately, somebody's going to come up with a question, and you're going to be providing some comment on that. Every single element of our industry – has a teaching component in it, and you you need to understand that, and uh, hopefully have the right attitude toward it. You know that that's really important. What you said, every aspect of this industry has a teaching element to it, and and that is very very important. The people that you run across every day, they they challenge you too. Your students, everybody does. When you're a flight instructor, even today, I'm sure you can say this also. I yesterday had I was doing a safety seminar and I had someone ask me a question that I actually I, I was like and I know a certain topic real well like charts and I didn't know the answer and I said you know what? I don't know the answer to that question I'm gonna go look that up and you know that was awesome because no matter how many years you have teaching you're gonna find something at some point which is gonna stump you and you're gonna have to do some research and you're gonna learn and I'm sure Eric mm-hmm. you've learned. Even even at this point, with all your instructing, <laughs> every uh, yeah, every student is a different. That's the thing. If if you look at every student as not only a teaching opportunity but as a learning opportunity, um, you know, every student is different. They come from a different background. They have different prior learning experience. They have different aversion or love of technology. Um, you know, you can you can look at every single student as a way to improve yourself to learn new information and um and i'm i'm kind of addicted to learning that's kind of i guess a real a real fault of mine i love to learn um if i could just go back and freeze time and stay in college (laughs) and just that that experience of just soaking in all that information um it's it's one of my great loves but but i do agree with you that you know students and i've told students this in the past certain ones at certain times, they teach me more than I teach them um, because they're giving me a valuable uh, experience that I can put into my instructor's bag of tricks that I can then use with 20 students later on. So it, uh, yeah, it, it, it definitely works that way. And you know, there's, there's an important point here also for, for instructors or people that are going to be instructors someday, is that if you do not know the answer to a question, you can look at it and think about it and say, you know, I don't know the answer to that. And that shows a lot of integrity when you tell something, I don't know. You are not the all-knowing person you think you are. You're this flight instructor and everybody looks up to you. But you know what? We don't know everything. Amazingly enough, flight instructors don't know everything. And we do have to reference our manuals and we have to go back and research. And research topics that we don't know a lot about. And, uh, you know, last night I went to a seminar on airspace 
Well, I don't fly VFR that often. I'm flying IFR all the time. I learned so much last night. It was terrific. So everybody can learn. That's the point. You know, Eric, moving on to uh, just another topic here. We've talked about flight instructing, and we've talked about flying a lot. But, you know, I think that there are so many opportunities, or I know there's a lot of opportunities in aviation. So, you know, we, we talk about who should get into aviation, and we, we normally talk towards the pilots. But, gosh, mm-hmm. for, at an airline, you know, one out of every six employees is an actual pilot. So who, who do you think should look towards a career in aviation? Well, that's it's that's a great question because that's uh, again another thing that directly relates to to this the experience that I had uh, coming into it thinking the only job you could have in aviation was a commercial airline pilot. Well, I was educated, and now I have I have the perfect job for me. I found my niche. I do exactly what I love to do every single day. Um, my wife is a great example of that too. We actually met in a collegiate aviation program, both going the pilot route. She decided. She got through her instrument writing just decided, you know, I just really don't like this. This is not what I thought it was going to be. Um, and, and again, because the only thing she knew you could do with aviation is be a commercial airline pilot. She actually decided to move out of the professional pilot program and go into an administration program. She found uh, a, a perfect job for her. Um, she became an airport planner. Um, so she designed airports. Um, because the idea of she loves puzzles. So you have a certain amount of space. You have a certain uh, regulations for drain water and everything else. Well, we need to put a hanger here. Well, the hanger can't fit here if you turn it this way and move the ramp this way. She loves that. It's perfect for her. And I mean, that's the idea. You know, if you people think that when you're coming into aviation, well, you know, if I if I don't have straight A's in math and science, you know, I have no hope of ever being a pilot. You know, I talk to people all the time, and, and I'm sure you see this in the airline environment. Most of the pilots that you're flying with don't have aviation degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, most of them have a degree in business or law or any number of things. Um, because, you know, the, a lot of people come to aviation later in life. They decide, you know, what I really want to do is fly. Well, yeah, but it's not just flying. Um, you know, really, aviation has its own management. It has its own marketing. It has its own Everything, any anything you look at out there that you say, well, I want to go into this field, I want to go into healthcare. Well, we have we have uh, we have medevacs, you know, we have we have we have flight nurses, we have the the pilots who actually fly those aircraft, the people who tend to patients who go out into these incredibly dangerous roadside situations to pick up people who are injured in car crashes, land on top of a hospital in the in a gale of wind and rain, you know, there's. Anything you can think of that well, a career in this would interest me. There's a career in that in aviation, um, and so if you have any inclination, whatever, to get in aviation, the, the main thing I would encourage you to understand, which I wish I had understood, is that it's it's not just pilots. Um, and actually, when you look at the whole scope of aviation, like you said at the beginning, um, we're the minority <laughs> in in the in the whole aerospace industry. Um, you know, for every Two pilots on a commercial airline flight deck. There are a hundred people that got them there, um, and so that's it's kind of the important thing to remember. You know, we're it, we look at pilots as being like the only career in aviation, but in reality, we're actually the minority group. That's true, and and you know, to add to your point there, as far as two things. Number one, the being an airport planner, you know, we, we have to talk to your, your, I hope your wife wouldn't mind if we talk to her someday, because a lot of folks here are thinking, what is an airport planner and how do I get into that? So maybe at some point we'll talk more about that. And if, if you're interested in 
in listening to somebody talk about an airport planner, you know, please let us know and, and we'll, we'll make sure we, you know, if your wife wants to do it or somebody there wants to talk about being an airport planner, we'll have them on. But, but also, uh, going to what you said about the careers and, and the degree, the most important thing, if you are looking at a job in the airlines or if you're looking at a job in general, is to go and get yourself a degree. Get a four-year degree especially because it makes you more competitive. Uh, but get something. Get a degree. And I'll, I'll tell you that the majority of the people that I fly with didn't get their aviation degrees. I'm a good example. I was interested in artificial intelligence, so I got a degree in computer science, math, and psychology. And I'm not using that right now, but I am. I'm using some of the basics that I use there and, and incorporating them into my flying. And, you know, no matter what you go into, you have to have that degree. And having a degree, you know, I, I minored in, in art history. Well, you know, Having that actually helps me when I go to all these wonderful places and enables me to have discussions, and, and it makes you more well-rounded, and it makes the trips more fun, too. <laughs> I bet. You know? But, I, th- you know, you touched on a great point. Who should go into aviation? Everybody should look at it. It's a great field. You don't have to be a pilot. You don't have, as a matter of fact, like you said, the majority of the jobs are in other fields. And if you look at some of the people we've interviewed here on this podcast, a lot of folks are in a lot of different jobs and airport planning and, and, uh, actually uh, there's, that's a huge, huge uh, area right there. But Eric, you're very much involved in aviation training, obviously. And again, what, what is it that you do at uh, Polk State College? Polk State College actually is – our aerospace program is brand new. It just started in January of 2013, so the program just completed its first uh, semester. Um, we have a we have uh, an AS degree in professional pilot science, associate of science degree, um, and that essentially you can come in with any prior learning experience you have. If you already have pilot certification and no degree, you can come in. We give you college credit for the certificates you already hold, um, and then you can complete the academic core and get a degree. Um, in the fall, this upcoming August, we will start our associate's degree in aerospace administration, which will include topics like airport planning and uh, airport administration, airline administration, that sort of thing. Um, and and so that's, that's the two uh, core degrees, um, and then we actually currently have a bachelor's degree a proposal in place uh, currently, which we're hoping to begin um, next fall. So fall of 2014, we're looking to be the first public institution in Florida to offer a four-year aerospace degree. Now, so you have a lot of opportunities now for future aviators and also educators, but you'll have even more in the future. Exactly. That's the thing. Uh, we uh, we had a, our first crop of students has already completed, like I said, their first academic semester, um, and we keep them flying in the summer. Um, a lot of programs, sort of flight training, sort of comes to a halt during the summer for some reason. Uh, but uh, here we're we're year round because sunny Florida is the perfect place to learn to fly. Um, we 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 literally have close to 320 flyable days every year, so <laughs> we we keep the program going year round. Uh, we have a, a crop currently flying during the summer. And uh, yeah, it's 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 tons of fun. And like I said at the very beginning, um, I see them I see them walk out and they they look kind of nervous. I see them walk in and they have this huge smile on their face, and it's the most addictive it's the most addictive feeling ever. Um, and I know that they're enjoying it also. Hey, you know, you talked about the training. Now, we we spoke a, a while back about this conventional aviation training model, and that actually has come up in discussion quite a bit with some of the the designated pilot examiners I've spoken with. 
And then there's the new modern training models that are actually creating some safer pilots. So can you help uh, us understand what is the conventional aviation training model and then also talk a little bit about uh, how these modern training models are creating safer pilots and, and what those models are? Sure. Um, so the conventional aviation training model, which you're going to find in, in most operations where you go out to your local airport and you say, I want to be a pilot. Okay. Well, the conventional aviation training model was actually created in 1938 as a response to the fact that we really needed to train a whole lot of pilots really quick to go to World War II. And the whole mentality of that was, let's teach them a minimum number of skills and tasks so that they can get the airplane off the ground shoot at the enemy, come back and land. That was the mission. Um, and, and actually, when when the FA was created, the FA was initially created by either retired or active duty military people. So, so they brought that, that, and that military training mindset into the FAA and created what we know as the modern uh, training standards. Well, the problem with that is since 1938, our equipment, our airspace, our airports have become infinitely more complex. <laughs> And our training standards really haven't changed. Um, our curriculum hasn't changed substantially in general aviation. Now, when you look at the military today, the military training model today looks nothing like it did in 1938. It's a completely different training model because they realized that their missions changed over time. What we see in general aviation is kind of this this. I don't want to call it a, kind of a stick-in-the-mud mentality, but it is sort of like that we have this system. We generate pilots this way, so it must work. Let's just keep doing this thing over and over again. Um, and But what we see in the industry is a declining number of new student pilots starting training. We see a declining number of people completing their training. And we see, unfortunately, a stagnant accident incident rate. It's just, the, it's just flat. It doesn't get better. It just It's the same every year. Okay, well, what could be causing that? I hypothesize, along with some others, that maybe we're not training people as efficiently as we could. When you look at the military and the commercial airline industry, the changes that those two industry segments have made to training um, to incorporate more scenario-based training. So instead of just learning a set of skills and tasks, um, you're actually learning why that would be used in the real world and using it in a real-world setting through a scenario, training scenario. Um, we see that accident rates have gone down. Um, completion rates have gone up. So that obviously works in that industry segment. So it, I mean, it may seem like common sense to some, it does to me, that we need to take those same concepts and bring them back into general aviation. Um, and that's sort of what our program is, is sought to do. Um, when you look at a traditional college program, you'll see private pilot ground school, for example, which is just a course taught on campus to prepare people for the knowledge they need to have to basically to pass the private pilot knowledge test with the FAA and then to get their certificate. Well, we don't teach that as a campus course. Um, we, com we complete that course with the flight training. All, it's all done together in a very integrated way at the airport, and we build a ton of flight simulation into that. So traditionally, ground training is you sit in a room and an instructor stands at a whiteboard and lectures at you. Um, we don't do it that way. It's all very sim-based, so you're able to practice maneuvers, skills, tasks in real-world settings. Um, you have an evaluation on those things. Um, and, and then we're able to, through self-learning and guided group learning, we're able to really help you 
retain the information that you're learning. It's not just going at your head and going around and some of it gets stuck in your ears. Um, it, it's really sinking into the, into your brain. That's that's kind of the uh, the idea. But the short version, I guess, is that what we've tried to do is to look at scenario-based training as an alternative to the conventional training model, which is primarily maneuvers-based. We'll go up, I'll show you a maneuver, and then I'll coach you on it until you get it right. Okay, now we, what we're trying to do is to look at that and say, okay, why would you need to know this maneuver in the real world? When would you likely use this maneuver? And then let's create a scenario around that and make the training very practical and real to you. And that sounds like a, a, a better way to learn something. If you know why you're doing it, you're probably going to be more attentive. Well, we know that is the case from basically all educational research that's been done over the last 40 years. That's why you see experiential learning being put back into the K-12 classroom, kids learn better when they have a reason to learn the material. Um, you're familiar with the Central Florida Aerospace Academy, which is here in Polk County. It's actually on the Lakeland Airport. <laughs> um, and this is a public high school that anybody can go to. Um, and the entire focus is based on the, on the aerospace industry. They have a pilot program. They have a maintenance program. They have an engineering program. And they have an avionics program. And the idea there is you're still learning algebra, but there's a reason to learn algebra because you're trying to figure out uh, how much fuel you're going to burn if you're moving at this rate over this distance. Okay. Well, now, okay, that makes sense. You know, and, and that's the idea is to put that experiential learning in the classroom. We know that that's more, uh, a more productive way to learn information. And so we're doing that in the, in the, in the flight training field as well. So you can tell people that you should listen to your algebra teacher, but now you know why you should listen to your algebra teacher. Instead of saying you should, now you know exactly why. It's exactly. Funny, funny you mentioned that because one of my fellow flight instructors, uh, he he is an algebra teacher, and he's just so excited about it. He says, you know, we use it almost every day here in aviation. And I said, really? We just plug the numbers into a computer, and it tells me everything. Right, exactly. <laughs> he hates when I say that, but you, know, it, it, but, but you have to understand what the basis is behind that because sometimes that computer doesn't work, and you have to do it on your own, and you have to do it manually. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if that was true, then we wouldn't need pilots, right? If exactly. The, the if it, if it could be done, if it could be done completely in an automated fashion, then you know we would all sit on the ground and watch the airplane take off and land. But that at, at this point, we're, we still need pilots to be there. And no matter how great that automation is, and you know this from your training, most of the training is what happens when the automation fails, right. <laughs> because it can happen. And the automation is great, but when it becomes a crutch. Then you, like you said earlier, you know you lose those basic flying skills. I know a lot of captains who refer to um, to new recruits as children of the magenta line, who have been taught to rely so heavily on automation that they they've lost a lot of that those basic flying skills that they bring into into the cockpit, and they have to relearn that um, because they've learned automation primarily and not those basic stick and rudder skills. You know, it's a great great uh, point because. If you ask a student, you know, to do a cross radial check, and they'll be like, "What are you talking about? Uh, you really don't use the VORs to cross, you know, to check where you are." And uh, as a matter of fact, you you're going to be using those, especially if you decide to go work for the airlines, because you're going to use a lot of conventional navigational aids, especially out in areas that don't have uh, some of the more sophisticated equipment. <laughs> and if it fails, and it does fail, you know, you lose your GPS. You know, I've lost GPSs, and and you still have to know how to use that. It's very important. Mm -hmm. The you know you talked about this new training model and I think it's great I, I think you know you're teaching people how to think 
And I've always told people about 10% of what you learn in your aviation career is, is the physical part of flying. 90% is, is actually using your judgment and, and using your experience to make sure every flight is safer and is a better experience for the passenger and for you. And that is a continual process that never ends. And, you know, no matter how many hours you have, I look at the past, you know, eight, 9,000 hours, and I still am learning quite a bit. And I think everybody is that way. And, and the, the thing is, though, you know, I, I love to tell people to go into flying. And, and it's, it's one of those things where you will continually learn and grow. So that's part of the challenge. But one of the challenges they tell me right away, you get some young person that's, that's looking at this. The first thing they say is that, you know, this is really expensive. And, uh, you know, there's, that's a big, big challenge. As a matter of fact, that's just a side note here. I'm putting on my website, Aviation Careers Podcast, some tabs, loans, grants, and scholarships. And if you know somebody that has a scholarship, a loan, and a grant, and it's not in there, let me know, and I will put that up there. I'll contact them or have them email me, and I'll put the link on my website because I want everybody to be able to afford to do this. But, you know, what What are some of those financial, uh, financing uh, challenges that they have? And also, I don't know if you you've, you could speak towards this, but some of the past practices in the aviation industry have led to fewer financing options. Maybe you could explain a little bit about that. Sure. Um, what well, yeah, flight training is expensive. I mean, it just is. It always will be. There's. It, it's. It's. It doesn't have to be as expensive as it is right now, in my personal opinion, but it is that way. So that's something we know going into it. Like I said earlier, and you know, it took me five years to do my private because you know I was working at a at the local movie theater <laughs> to try to to try to pay for that. Um, but at the same time, it was something important to me, and I worked hard for it, and that was fine. However, that's the, the beautiful thing about higher education and its role in flight training. When you go the academic route and you want to pursue a degree, you have the option to get to federal student loans, many of which are subsidized, meaning the interest is deferred until after you graduate, um, which makes them you know, highly sought-after loans. Um, that's, that's a key, you know, having that help to get started in the program. It also opens you up to a whole new level of grants and scholarship opportunities that you can get going the collegiate aviation route. But unfortunately, because of, again, because of this stagnated uh, uh, accident and incident rate, um, insurance rates on airplanes are high. Um, the margins on uh, for local flight schools to make money off of flight instruction and aircraft rental have gone down. Um, and and that just drops the price up. Um, and to further that, our um, our general aviation community, when you look at new aircraft, they're outside the price range of most people. I mean, I, I couldn't personally go out right now and say, you know, I want to buy a brand new 172. You know, that's going to set you back two hundred thousand dollars over, actually closer to three hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, it's closer to three hundred thousand um, dollars. You know, and that's 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 pricey. And so that, that creates a situation where most people have to go to the local airport, rent an aircraft, learn to fly in. And, of course, then those other factors play in, rising fuel costs, all of that plays together. But going back to the, the need for a new training model, that's why flight simulation is so important. Because using a flight simulator to learn to fly costs a whole lot less than the actual airplane. Um, I actually had the opportunity to get into one of the full flight sims at uh, JetBlue U in Orlando a couple of weeks ago. And you know, this is a $15 million device on hydraulic gantries 30 feet up in the air. This is, this is a really nice flight sim. 
it costs a thousand dollars an hour to operate that thing. And to you and me, that sounds like a lot of money. But you can't go out and practice landings in an A320. That just doesn't. That, I mean, that doesn't make sense. You can't. You can't do that. So when you look at the operating cost versus the value to the to the organization, flight simulation makes all the sense in the world. And when you can get into a flight simulator, I, you know, if you look at the you know the traditional flight sims that are out there right now, if you look at the Redbird FMX, for example, full full motion, um, it's an advanced aviation training device. So you can do a lot of training towards your instrument commercial, some towards your private also. Um, you look at a device like that that runs right now, I think somewhere in the $65,000 range, which is still expensive, but your hourly operating cost on that thing is next to nil. Um, and by by Using simulation like that, we can expose students to many, many different things that you can do in an airplane and a lot of different things that you can't safely practice in an airplane. I tell you, like you said before, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't fly into a thunderstorm. Don't fly into a thunderstorm. Well, in a sim, I can actually let you do that and let you see what it would be like and the fact that you you will lose control of the airplane. Just don't do that. But instead of me telling you, I can show you. And it's a much more practical learning experience. So, you know, the, the key, I think, to bringing that cost of, of training down, and we've seen this, is by incorporating a predominant amount of flight simulation training into the environment. Again, that's exactly what the commercial airlines do. That's what the military does. We've seen proven safety benefits of doing it that way. And obviously, it saves both of those organizations a ton of money. And to add to that, Eric... When I was uh, first started out in the airlines, we used to do the training in the airplane. And uh, sometimes there were accidents that happened because of that training. If you look at hull loss, in other words, an aircraft loss, the majority were during training events, and mm-hmm. which have led to some training simulators and all because they have broken airplanes. But, you know, nowadays, and this kind of freaks people out when I tell them this, we've gone from that to getting a type rating in a specific aircraft and never actually flying or landing the plane until you first get into it with passengers on board. With passengers on board. Now, they do that at the airlines. That can also be done, I think, in other training environments if you have the proper simulation. And I think, and you, and, and you could probably answer this, I think the actual cost of simulation has come down quite a bit in comparison to actual flying the airplane. And I don't know what the percentages are, but just like you said, running a, a simulator for $1,000 an hour is super cheap compared to actually flying an airplane that is actually costing the operator, say, 5000 to $10,000 per hour to operate the actual aircraft. I wonder if there's been any studies done on the, the general aviation aircraft and, and the comparison costs there. Well, that's exactly what Redbird is doing right now through their Skyport project. Um, and uh, the Redbird company is based in uh, San Marcos, Texas, and they have a flight training center out there. It's called Skyport, for those of you who don't know about it. Um, and essentially what they've done is create a brand-new training curriculum that is very sim-focused. Students spend on average about 20 hours um, in the simulator, um, and they're all finishing the curriculum currently. No one has taken more than 40 hours to finish their private, which is way below the national average. And what they're seeing is uh, th- – what they're doing right now is it's a flat $9,500. That's it. You come up with $9,500, and they can train you. It is – it's accelerated training. Um, it I think it takes between two and three weeks. Don't quote me on that. I can't remember exactly. But um, the idea is – that they have you in simulation all the time, teaching you technique, procedures, 
teaching you judgment, things that, that we just – we can't do in an airplane. And so by the time you get to the airplane, you're like, okay, yeah, I've done a stall 50 times in the simulator. So now the only thing I have in experience is actually doing it in the airplane. Okay, now I've done it in the airplane. Okay, that's fine. And you associate the experience you gained from the simulation into the aircraft, and that's, that's key. And, um, and that's, that's the purpose of that. That's all that's, – uh, the whole purpose of their program is to collect that data to figure out what training benefits are afforded by doing uh, the training that way and then to make that a public thing. So for the skeptics of this type of a program, I think they really should look at the, the Redbird simulators and see what their, their outcomes are. Because that's really how we should measure things is how about, you know, through outcomes. Are, are they graduating more people in less time? Sounds like it. It sounds like, yeah. you're, you know, 40 hours is pretty much unheard of as far mm-hmm. as getting your private. But I've only had one do it in 40 hours in the airplane. Right. Because there's a lot of things involved. You know, you're in a much more relaxed environment, too, when you're in the simulator. And it's air-conditioned, by the way. That's a plus, especially when you're in Florida. Our students love simulator lessons because <laughs> it's air conditioned. Yeah, that's for sure. And if you really have to go to the bathroom, you can always just press the pause button and get out. Now, compare that cost. Uh, let's use your simulators, for example, to the airplanes you have. What What is the difference? Well, uh, a brand new Cessna 172 with a G1000 glass cockpit is going to rent to the student for something close to... Um, it's a, just let's go with $150 an hour. Let's make it a flat number, okay? Right. Um, the flight simulation will go for 60. That's a big difference. That's a huge difference. Now, here's the real key: when you've got the flight instructor in the airplane with you, which by the way they're always in the airplane with you, um, except when you're soloing, you're paying for the flight instructor. Well, when the flight instructor's in the simulator with you, you're going to pay for the instructor time because it's essentially like you're in the airplane. But the flight instructor can allow you to, once you've learned how to use the sim and how to conduct certain maneuvers, the instructor can get out of the simulator. You can practice on your own. It's essentially like soloing in the airplane without all those crazy insurance liability things. So you can practice maneuvers over and over and over again, and you're only paying $60 an hour to do that. Um, so by by allowing you that repeated practice now we've gotten into a situation where we're getting you tons more quantity of flight time than we would have gotten you in the airplane. But what we're also giving you is a tremendous increase in the quality of the flight time that you're getting. And that's uh, also true with having the instructor there also. I mean, you can do mm-hmm. more maneuvers in, in a shorter amount of time in the simulator than you could actually in the airplane. Well, exactly. If we're practicing landings, right, at a normal non-towered airport, from the time you touch down till the time you touch down again, it takes six minutes in a Cessna 172 for you to fly the full traffic pattern. Well, that's six minutes where you're you're busy doing things, but the whole point is for that last 30 seconds because we're trying to show you that last 30 seconds as you clear the trees, get down over the runway, get the airplane to a landing attitude and physically touch down, and then continue flying the airplane all the way until it stops flying. That's what we're looking at, but it takes six minutes for every 30 seconds I want to demonstrate with you. In a simulator, I can just back you up to a one-mile final and have you hit it over and over and over and over again. And in that same six minutes, instead of doing one approach, we can do five. And so it's just – it's exposure to the training that you actually need, and, and it's focused on that one particular area to a point where you've practiced it. You've got it uh, basically just – merged into your brain and you i hate to be all philosophical but, but you become one with the airplane for that for that period of time and 
you're a flight instructor. That's where the, that's where a student has to get to. You you can't be anywhere else other than a part of the airplane for that last 30 seconds. I mean, you have to know exactly where the wheels are, where the nose is pointed, how the airplane is aligned with the runway, and you can't be thinking about that. It just it's just part of <laughs> it's part of you. You just understand it, know it, and you you fly through the maneuver as though it was something natural. Um, and that we have to get students to that point. And flight simulation is a great tool to get us to that place. You know, Eric, you're talking about flight simulation as if it's something new, but you know, it really has been around for ages. You know, the past 10 years of my flying with the airlines, the majority of what we've done is in the simulator. Maybe my first few years we did it in the airplane, but if I, just like you said, if I want to learn how to do crosswind landings in one of the jets that I fly, I actually am put out on final approach. I do a landing. I put out on final approach. I keep doing it until I get it right. And mm-hmm. that's what you're doing in the training environment with a smaller airplane in primary training. You know, there, it's it's been done before, and it's done at the airlines. You know, I think we just need to shift it to the primary training, which is actually what you folks are doing. And, and I think that's great. Yeah, that's the idea. It, I mean, the, the cost benefits are obvious. Anybody who looks at that on paper can see the cost savings to the students. But the key thing is, I mean, yes, obviously I want to save people money. But ultimately what I want to do is to create safer and more competent pilots. And I think I think what we'll see from that is a hiring base for airlines, for corporations who want to hire pilots. We'll see pilots who – you know, yes, you've still got to do a type rating in your business jet or your your airline, whatever. But they've already they've already been exposed to that mentality of training. You know, normally, what we see people come out of the GA and the general aviation environment, they go to their first. You know, if it's a regional airline, if it's a corporation, they get sent to training to complete you know indoctrination, then to learn systems and to ultimately get your type rating, whatever jet you're going to be flying. All that's brand new to them. They've never been exposed to that kind of training before. We think that by doing it this way, when a person goes to – it doesn't matter whether it's corporate, whether it's airline, the training mentality is the same. So it's, okay, this is what I did for a 172. I just have to learn new systems and new airspeeds. And, you know, it, it's it's amazing how how that ties into that airline training. And, and I'll tell you this. I was with a training facility uh, in the Florida area, and one of the things that was mentioned is the fact that when you go through this simulator training – say in some type of airline prep uh, software or airline prep uh, program, you actually do better when you're at the airline and you actually get through a lot quicker and you really can see it. People that have our first time at an airline, they do so much better if they've been through that environment of training in the simulators. I think it really does help a lot, especially if they have some time in the aircraft they're about to fly, of course. Exactly. You know, it, this is so neat, and I could talk forever on on this the, the flight training and be having a better pilot training in the simulators. And and you really, this truly is a progressive approach to uh, our training in general with aviation. And I think it's great. We're moving forward, which is is wonderful. I know there's been some resistance from people, but if you if you tie it in and use the example of the airlines, I, I think that we will be able to move forward with this type of training scenario. Uh, but one of the things I want to ask you about is your Polk State College, uh, because you know you spent the time here with us and explained all these different uh, avenues you can go with with flight training and and how to become a better pilot and have better training environment. 
What what exactly does Polk State College have for say future aviators and educators? I know you talked about the the, the flight instructing, but but is there anything? Say I want to go to a, a, an environment like what you're in right now. What type of opportunities would I have at Polk State? Well, as I mentioned before, you know we have the degree pathways. Uh, we're also looking at. Um, a certificate training program, which is different for people who look at um, collegiate flight training. Usually, it's associated with a degree. We're also looking at being able to offer a college certificate program, which would allow you to complete all of your flight training, a limited academic core that wouldn't include traditional general education courses like math and English and history and psychology and all that sort of stuff, which just drops the cost even further, because now you're not taking the additional academic core you'd need for the degree. That's one potential opportunity for people who want to go the aviation route but aren't necessarily looking at a degree pathway. Okay, well, we'll try to do that too. Um, one of the big keys about being a public institution is if you if you come in with prior training, I get this question all the time. I have uh, several people just in the last few weeks that I've talked to who are you know 10,000-hour pilots with four type ratings. But in the 60s and 70s, you didn't have to have a college degree to fly for an airline. Well, now you do. Okay, so they're looking at doing that, and, and they, they, can't, they can't seem to get – requisite credit for all the experience they have as aviators. Well, when you come here, any prior experience you bring with you, you get credit for. So if you have all of your flight certificates already, you're going to get college credit for all of those. Um, With the kind of experience that these particular people have, they can come in, they can test out of most of the courses in the curriculum just based on their knowledge of the industry and, you know, the different operations they've conducted. So it, it makes adding a degree to your pilot resume an extremely easy thing to do. It's very, uh, uh, very non-time-consuming and also affordable. Um, that's, that's kind of a, you know, another public service type thing. It's not just about looking at the traditional college student who's 18 years old and wants to go through a degree pathway. What we're trying to do is to look at the industry and say, what does the industry need? Well, it definitely needs better training standards. We're going to work on that. We're working on that now. It needs more opportunities for people who are established in the industry and want to improve their situation in the industry. We're going to do that as well. Um, and so that's kind of the idea. It's looking at the. It's not just looking at the traditional college population. It's looking at aviation as a whole and saying, what do what do we need as an industry and how can we help do that? Eric, you mentioned some of these things about people that wanted to get a degree, but say there's someone that is listening that wants to further their knowledge, mm-hmm. not so much their education, but their knowledge. Is there something, say me, I want, is there something I could do at Polk State, someone who loves to learn? Is there any opportunities for me? Through our aerospace program, uh, what we do, we're a little bit different in that, actually, because our our courses are open to non-degree-seeking students. So, for example, if you wanted to improve your knowledge of aircraft systems and components, you can take my aircraft systems and components course as a non-degree-seeking student just because you want to take it. Um, Actually, for the fall semester, it won't be offered online, but come the spring semester, it will be. We sort of alternate the courses that we offer online and face-to-face. So we do have those opportunities as well for distance learners who don't want to travel to Polk County. Can't imagine why you wouldn't. It's a beautiful place to be. But if you don't want to come down here, that's fine. Um, We'll have opportunities for you online as well to improve your uh, understanding of certain topics. I think that's that's a key thing because that's one of those things that's lacking right now. If If you're not participating in the wing program you should be but even that you know it's limited course offerings that have a certain you know 
tinge or point. These are these are collegiate aviation courses that um, cover a very broad spectrum of topics. That systems class I was mentioning, we start with a Cessna 172 and we end up um, in, a, in a 737. So you see systems and components get infinitely more complex from very basic systems up through um, light twins, turboprops, and ultimately into transport category aircraft. Well, that sounds really interesting, and that's something I'd I'd be interested in. I'm sure there's other folks out there that would would want to do such a thing. Now, let's look at your program. Uh, You have an associate's degree now. You are looking towards a bachelor's in the future. Mm -hmm. Uh, How about, let's look out 10 years from now. Uh, Mm -hmm. Where where do you see Polk State going in 10 years from now? Uh, 10 years from now, um, I see Polk State being um, a a destination for aviation training. I I hope that that's the case, and I think it it certainly can be. Um, We're currently pursuing opportunities for um, uh, collegiate education toward maintenance education, um, air traffic control, dispatch. If it's a a potential career option in the aerospace industry, we're looking at that. Uh, We're looking at uh, participating in unmanned aircraft. Uh, we're particip- we're looking at uh, uh, I said air traffic control, but um, basically we're we're trying to cover the entire umbrella of what aviation is. That's that whole point that we talked about at the beginning. It's not just flying. There's a whole lot of stuff <laughs> other than the cockpit. When you talked about aircraft dispatch, we do have a couple of people have written in asking about those programs. Do you think that'll be something that'll be coming online in the near future? I certainly hope so. I mean, our our big hurdle right now is getting a bachelor's degree approved because there are no state standards for a four-year degree in aerospace because there aren't any programs in Florida that do that right now at the public level. Um, that, that's, a, that's a significant hurdle to get over. We had to write our own standards, and obviously the Board of Education and the accreditation bodies need to buy off on that. And so that's sort of where we are right now. Uh, we feel very confident about, about that process. Um, but once that's completed, then we can turn our eyes toward other things, and, and dispatch is definitely one of those things on my short-term to-do list. Well, sounds like Polk State is really involved, in, and you're in Polk County, is really involved in aviation and promoting aviation safety and also education. I think Polk County has done a wonderful job, and I think Polk State has done a terrific job. There's also some things that you folks do. One of my favorite organizations in aviation, of course, is, is Sun and Fun. And Polk State has actually partnered with Sun and Fun on a few projects, but what what are some of those product, projects that you're involved with, and how is that helping uh, the aviation community? Well, sure. I, I love Sun and Fun, too. Um, <laughs> I've, I've probably been to Sun and Fun the last seven years, I think. So it was very interesting to go back this year as a, as a formal partner rather than just a normal exhibitor um, and to be able to see – um, to see that from a different perspective. Um, but so, yes, we are a formal partner with Sun and Fun. Um, uh, this last year was the first year, again, it's the first year this aerospace program has existed, but uh, the, the college sponsored the educational forums that take place um, at Sun and Fun. Uh, and those are held actually in the Central Florida Aerospace Academy building, which is again on the on the campus of the Lakeland Airport. Um, and Sun and Fun is directly partnered with the Central Florida Aerospace Academy to help provide um, aviation opportunities to those students, but also to administer uh, the James Ray Foundation Scholarship. And for those of you who aren't familiar with that, it's a benefit open to any student, any high school student in Polk County. And essentially, the foundation uh, will pay for 75% of a student's private pilot training. 
um, and the student is responsible for the other 25%. Uh, Sun and Fund steps in and says, okay, those of you who have financial hardships, um, if you will volunteer at Sun and Fund and work in the Florida Air Museum and work at the fly-in event and do other things for the organization, we'll pay the other 25%. So if you are a student in Polk County, um, you can literally get your private pilot certificate for zero cost to you. Um, which is a, it's a huge benefit. That didn't exist when I was in high school. I wish it did. Um, I wouldn't have, well, I probably still would have worked that hard. That's kind of my thing, but I would have found something else to spend my money on, I guess. Um, anyway, so that's, that's one huge benefit here. That scholarship also offers a $5,000 annual uh, scholarship to college students, which they're able to use here at Polk State. So that's just one of those ways in which we work not only with the high school, but with Sun and Fun to provide a a career channeling path for those students who come out of high school and go, okay, well, I love aviation. I've completed high school. Now what do I do? Well, we're here. We're in the same county. We're right down the road from you. So you can just come through this program, and uh, and it's just uh, it's a, a natural progression for those students. Um, about 75 to 80 percent of our current student population are graduates from Central Florida Aerospace Academy. Um, that's the idea, to provide a, an opportunity for them where they don't have to leave home if they don't want to, um, and they can attend um, a much more affordable option that's close to home that still provides them with an outstanding aerospace education. And, uh, you know, Sunday Fun has other opportunities. They do teacher workshops to help K-12 teachers learn how to put um, aerospace concepts into the classroom. Uh, Polk State partners with them on that project as well to provide material support uh, for that project. And uh, then there's summer camps that they hold for kids of all kinds of different ages. The college is partnering with them in that capacity also to help with mentoring and guest speaking and things like that to help those kids understand Again, that there are more careers in aviation than just the cockpit. That sounds uh, it's just terrific what you folks are doing at Sun and Fun. And, and you know, that uh, as far as the Central Florida uh, uh, Flight Academy or Central Florida Aviation Academy, uh, there's actually a gentleman named Al Thompson that I interviewed in uh, episode 31. So if you want to listen to what he has to say about uh, Central Florida Aviation Academy, go to aviationcareerspodcast.com uh, slash 31. As a matter of fact, listen to all those different interviews, because a lot of what we talked about about Sun and Fun is, is in those interviews. And, and there's some really, really inspirational people that, uh, that spoke during that. And I really, I think listening to that, you can take away something from everybody that, that, uh, that speaks on that interview there. But, you know, Polk State's doing some wonderful things. I, I think it's terrific what you're doing. You're, you're very innovative. Uh, also, Polk County itself is, which you're a big part of, obviously, has been one of the leading areas in aviation training, but also recreation. Uh, you know, I can think we just spoke about Sun and Fun, but look at some of the other things. There's, uh, there's the aviation uh, attraction that's there in, in Polk County. Fantasy of Flight. Fantasy yeah. of Flight. What other, what other things are out there? I mean, Polk County is just so cool. Yeah, it is a really neat place, actually. Uh, when you say that, it, it, it judges me because Jack Brown Seaplane Base is on the corner of the Winter Haven Airport. <laughs> Lake Jesse is right here beside the airport. And um, every time I see John Brown, who, who runs uh, the seaplane base, you know, Eric, just give me a weekend. Give me a weekend. I can get your seaplane rating. And I, I really – I've got to stop coming up with excuses to not do that. But literally, you can come down here. Um, they have whole packages. You just – you pay a lump sum of money. That's your hotel, your food, everything. Um, you stay at a local hotel. It takes two days. Uh, they run you through the entire program. Um, it's a weekend. 
I mean, you don't even have to take off from work. <laughs> you just fly down, uh, drive down, whatever, come in, get your seaplane rating, and, and go out with, a, with an incredible um, experience. There are 12 navigable lakes in the city limits of Winter Haven. Um, and when you're here in town, you can't go outside on a nice day and not look up and see a yellow float plane. A yellow cub on floats because they're just they're everywhere, um, and that's it's just such a neat opportunity. It's really neat here because you you, you really can't take off from the Winter Haven Airport without seeing a cub coming in or out of Lake Jesse. Um, this is a really interesting operation to share airspace with. Um, a fantasy of flight is another crazy experience, just in terms of the the type of aircraft that are there. Those of you who love uh, the Indiana Jones movies as much as I do, if you recall in uh, Temple of Doom the Ford trimotor that they flew across the Himalayas in that Harrison Ford had to jump out of that airplane is at fantasy of flight. Um, it's just, you know, odd, weird things in, in airplanes that you'll, that you'd never see that there are only six in existence. And one of them is at fantasy of flight. It's just an incredible opportunity to go to. And, um, if you do have to make it, if you do get to make it down for Sun and Fun, um, your Sun and Fun credentials get you to fantasy of flight. They share credentials during Sun and Fun week. So it, uh, it's a it's a great benefit if you're here for Sun and Fun anyway. You really need to go over to Fantasy of Flight. They hold the the seaplane splash in over there at Lake Agnes, uh, which is right on the corner of Fantasy of Flight. Uh, but then it's it's just a short walk to get over to the main area to walk through the hangars and look at actually watch people restoring aircraft that you'll probably never see again because there's only a few of them in existence. On Fantasy of Flight, if for those that are visiting Florida should go there, because it really is one of the only aviation theme attractions. I mean, you, you actually feel like you're in a theme park when you're going through this. They take yes. you all the way through the history of aviation, from balloons to, to the first flight to World War One and World War Two, and you're actually in the trenches as you're walking through. It's so cool. And yeah. I suggest anybody go see that. And if you, if you have one athletic bone in your body the ropes course there is probably the most fun you can have um not flying um it's they have uh it's you can literally spend an entire day just pushing yourself to complete this ropes course which people often ask what that has to do with aviation and the whole point of fantasy flight is to look at the past the present and the future of aviation because that's what it's about. So you, you go through this whole historical indoctrination about how we got where we are. And in the present is about looking at where we are you know, now, what's going on now, what aircraft are in service, what are pilots doing now, and then looking at the future. And part of that is uh, to you, you participate in this ropes course because you look at it and you say, I could never do that. But you can, and then you realize, wow, I, I looked at that and said I couldn't really – there's no way I could get from this end of this course to the other, and I did. And the point there is you, you do the same thing when you look at an airplane. You say, I really want to do that, but I just can't do it. But you really can. See, we just showed you. This is just one amazing uh, view of different aircraft that you can get. There's there's so many other ways you can view an aircraft, and that's from the cockpit at Fantasy of Flight. You can just jump in one and, and go for a flight. It's pretty cool. Yep. Uh, so there's a lot to do in Central Florida, especially Polk County. And I really, uh, what I'll do is I'll put some of these links there. So if you are here on vacation, everybody comes to Disney or, or the coast and all, but you really need to make it over to Polk County, especially if you have any interest in aviation. And, you know, if, if you get a chance, go to Gilbert Field. They have a neat little... Uh, like a little museum on the field there. You can take a look at some of the, the history from uh, when they actually were a training base back in World War II and some really, really interesting stuff there. 
The other thing that Polk County does and, and Polk State does is they have uh, this, they're very involved with the STEM program there at the Central Florida Aviation Academy mm-hmm. and the Science, Technology, Engineering, and Math. And, and you know, those programs are, are, be, are making some headway. We really do need to see more, more kids and more people get into the engineering and the science and the technology. And they're making some real headway there, especially right there in, in Polk County. It's amazing. I mean, is there anything else that, that, that before we close here that you might want to say to folks as far as what Polk State is doing? And also to speak to the person listening right now that is, is looking at a career in aviation and is saying to themselves, I don't know if I want to do this. What are the ramifications? What if I do and I don't like it? Those type of things. Is there anything else you could sure. say? Sure. Um, if you're looking at a potential career in aviation, please look at Polk State, not because I want your money or anything sorted like that, um, just because um, we really understand uh, the the different careers that are there because most of us have had several in aviation. Like I said, I was a flight instructor. I've, I've ran a collegiate aviation program previously. I've worked in the flight school environment. I've flown Part 135, flying uh, you know, charter flights. I've flown in the corporate aviation environment, and now I teach and, and run a collegiate aviation program. There's <laughs> there's a million different opportunities in aviation, and we would love to help you find the one that fits your needs the best. That being said, if you have an interest in aviation at all anyway, please pursue it. Don't look at aviation as the thing that, that you really love but but can't do. Because I couldn't see over the panel of a 172 when I was 13, um, but I, I, I realized I could do it. And give it a shot. Go out. Go to your local airport. Get an introductory flight. Uh, when you're on vacation somewhere, um, you go out to the local airport and ask, you know, can I, can, I take a, can I take an hour flight, just an intro flight? Go out and see what this is like. Um, you know, give it a shot. Um, if you're like me and a lot of other people I know, and probably Carl too, uh, the bug will bite you and it will never let you go. Yeah, it's a, it's a disease. It's uh, it's not curable, but it's treatable by more flying and more involvement in the industry. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I think that's a good point, Eric. You, you know, whether you, you you can't see yourself looking over that 172, the dash, or or the the dashboard of a, a 747, uh, those people thought the same thing. Some of them when they were younger, and they did it. And everybody comes from somewhere, and just you have to give it a shot and, and not be afraid. Not be afraid to change your path along the way too. You never know. You never know what you're going to do, but you're. You, you're not gonna you're not gonna actually do it until you take that first step. Now, Eric, before we close, wh- where can people find this information that that you've given us? And also, would you mind sending uh, some of those those links that you have for some of those scholarships and all to me, and I'll I'll have them out there on the website. Absolutely, um, we post a lot of information about scholarships as well on our website, and that's probably the best place for you to find any information, any general information about our program. That's uh, polkpolk.edu forward slash aerospace. That'll take you directly to our page and you can sort of peruse what we have to offer there. See a little bit more about the courses that we offer. And, you know, we're very upfront with what it costs. The estimated price costs for each certificate are right there. So you can see what will be required. And then right beside that, we have access to uh, uh, to loans, to grants, to scholarships for those uh, people who want to uh, pursue that and, and need the financial help to do it. Um, that's the best way to do it. If you just want to interact with me directly, please look me up on Twitter. I love having chats with people on Twitter. Um, it's 140 characters, so it keeps somebody long-winded like me at bay. Um, <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter at the uh, at symbol C-Eric Go S-E-E 
E-R-I-C-G-O. And I would love to have a chat with you about your interest in aviation or, um, you know, anything else for that matter to help you along the path. Because, um, you know, we've all, we've all, like Carl said, we've all come from somewhere. But any pilot who's flying today used to not be a pilot. And at some point, they became one. And, um, and if I can help you become a pilot or get you into aviation in any way that interests you, please don't hesitate to let me know. Well, Eric, thanks thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And uh, you know, there's there's many ways to get in touch with us too. And and I hope you don't mind if in the future, if we have some questions, could you mind coming back and, and maybe sharing some of those answers sometime? I would love to. You will never find me saying no to a chance to talk about aviation. So <laughs> it's an automatic yes. You don't even have to ask. <laughs> well, that's terrific, Eric. Again, thanks so much. And you know, as you can tell, Eric's really is a passionate aviator. And he plays a key role in helping people achieve their career goals and become safer pilots. You know, I highly recommend you're visiting Polk State by going to aviationcareerspodcast.com slash Polk State, or as he said, www.polk.edu slash aerospace. If you have any questions for Eric, please go to the links that he's told you, but also to aviationcareerspodcast.com slash contact. And we'll answer your question directly by email and then share your question in an upcoming episode. Of course, we're going to take out all that info, all that personal information that you share with us, and we will definitely give it to some other folks so that they can use that. Well, thanks for listening to Aviation Careers Podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to help continue to bring this content to you free, please visit our sponsors at aviationcareerspodcast.com. You can see them listed there. You know, there are many career opportunities in the aviation industry, and you can fulfill your passion in many ways, just as Eric has done in fulfilling his passion for aviation. One of the most important things to remember while you're looking towards a career in aviation is to keep your mind open to the many opportunities in this exciting field. You never know where to lead you, but remember, enjoy the journey towards your career goal. I know you will achieve whatever goal you decide is worthy of your efforts. I encourage you to right now take one step towards achieving your career goal. Visit a website or start listening to people motivated about aviation through podcasts just like this one. Maybe you're at home right now and have an aviation magazine or book. You can pick them up and start reading right now. You know, if if your phone is close by, you can call a friend or an aviation mentor right now and discuss your career goals. But make sure that you do something to keep moving towards your career goal. I know you'll achieve whatever you want through persistence and perseverance. So get started right now. I'll talk to you next episode and safe flying. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although hosts or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.